Isaiah chapter 11, the branch from Jesse. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash round his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, and from the islands of the Mediterranean. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Morning, everyone. It'd be really good if you had that passage open in front of you. It has an extraordinary picture of what our world could be and how it can be like that. Let's pray together. Loving Heavenly Father, please would you open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things in your word. And by your Holy Spirit, melt our hearts and mould our wills, that we might live in humble obedience to all that we read. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Uh, not many weeks ago we were celebrating Remembrance Sunday, or particularly in the middle of the week, Armistice Day. And one schoolgirl was writing a project about Armistice Day, where she wrote this. Armistice is when we have two minutes peace each year. She was so wrong and yet so right. In the last 100 years, more people have died in war than in the previous 1900 years put together. And we're meant to have uh, moved on, aren't we, as a human race. I remember reading in a paper the story of a mother and a daughter who jointly owned a house but the mother was staging a rooftop protest with placards. Seems she'd been away. She'd returned to find her daughter had moved into the top of the house and cut all the electricity off from the bottom of the house because of a feud over bills. See, peace seems so elusive, whether it's in families 
or on a world stage. Tomorrow, I will mainly spend the day dealing with fractures, aggro, and deep hurts in churches around my archdeaconry. Three different situations will take up most of my day tomorrow. And so many lives we know are blighted by mental health, anxiety, and stress-related illness, not least the youngest in our society. When faced with all these tensions and a lack of peace, maybe, just maybe, and I bet we'll hear it around Christmas time because it's one of those songs that, bizarrely, is not Christmassy but seems to come up at Christmas time, we'll hear John Lennon's words again. Imagine there's no countries. It's hard, it isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for and no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. Lennon holds out a vision, a possibility of real-world peace. And for him, it starts with removing God from the picture. That is step one. But here Isaiah proclaims a vision, a vision of world peace. But it depends wholly on bringing God right back to the very center of the picture. Just look with me at verses 6 to 9, which is really that vision of a perfect peace. And uh, Isaiah, is de- Isaiah is deliberately using, I think, Garden of Eden imagery. He uses the animal world to be symbolic of the whole of creation. You'll see there, there's no more fear and fighting and killing and death. It is a vision of perfect safety for the vulnerable. Verse 6, the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard with the goat, the calf with the lion, mortal enemies dwelling together in total harmony. Predators and prey reconciled. You find terrifying powers now walking side by side with the most vulnerable in society. Look at verse 7. The cow will feed with the bear. The young will lie down together. The infant, sorry, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. And then you get a complete reversal of the fall back in Genesis 3. Back there in Genesis 3, we were told that the serpent, the snake, would strike the heel of the woman's child. But here... The serpent and the child are together. No fear of death. The infant will play near the pole of the cobra, and the young child put his hands into the viper's nest. And so there in verse 9, we have a picture of humanity and creation, totally at peace, living in God's place. It speaks there of the mountain of the Lord, but actually the vision there is for the whole of God's world. It speaks about the nations uh, uh, further on in verses 10 and 11. God's people living in total harmony. That is the promise, says Isaiah, of what will be one day. But how will that vision become a reality? We all long for it, don't we? Every person that will walk past that ch- our church this morning longs for it. And bizarrely, this tells us the answer that they're all looking for. That every world leader is looking for is here. And it's in verse 9. It's not in verse 9. It's in verse 9b. For the earth will be full of the Lord, knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What is the key to world peace? 
It is a world flooded with the knowledge of and people in relationship with the God that made them. That is the answer. That is the only answer to world peace. It is not one option amongst many. It is, says Isaiah, the only way that this vision that we all long for in our hearts will become reality. A world flooded, literally flooded with the knowledge of God. Knowing not just about him, but knowing him in personal relationship. It is exactly the opposite of John's, John Lennon's solution. And it's vital, actually, that we come to understand the context of this passage, to understand why actually many of us might be in danger of not really believing that. We can say it, but it's not often how we live it day by day. The context of this passage is that Judah uh, uh, focused around Jerusalem, which is the southern kingdom. The people of God there have been starting to feel very threatened. They've enjoyed a really long period of peace, but now their cousins in the north, the kingdom of Israel, along with Israel's allies, Syria, are starting to flex their muscles. They're looking like they might invade Judah. So King Ahaz has a cunning plan. He plans to go and make friends with the beefiest, hardest nuts on the block in that day. That time it was Assyria, a great empire, the local superpower, muscle. Because they think, look, if I go and make friends with them, then there's no way that Israel and Syria are going to come and invade us. They'll be too scared. As the meerkats would say, simples. Do you know, I once had a moment, an Ahaz moment. I don't think I've shared this. If I have, I apologize. Uh, back when uh, Fran and I were at a church down in, uh, near Taunton and I was leading the church, we had a vision for building a new uh, church center, a million pounds worth of church center. But before we shared it, because I was, could tell that people would be quite nervous of it, I had a cunning plan. A lady in my church uh, had a son who was extraordinarily wealthy. He was one of the top hedge fund managers in the country, nay, the world. Uh, he, used to, he was a Christian, though, and he used to give away three million pounds of his own money every single year. And I knew that he'd given a million pounds a couple of years before to build something onto the church somewhere down in the south of the country. And uh, her, uh, sorry, uh, his uh, mum was key to our church. She was just one of the sort of elder stateswomen of our church. And she said, you know, I think he might well come and pay for it. Let's get him down. So I got him down and I showed him around. I found him a very difficult person, if I'm honest with you. And I thought, I've nailed it. Do you know what? This was back in 2007. Do you remember what happened in 2007, 2008? Well, his hedge fund bought into Northern Rock. Do you remember what happened to Northern Rock? And then a whole series of other things went down as 2008, the financial crash came. Suddenly, he was able to give zero. And at that moment, I heard God say to me very, very clearly, Ewings, we are not doing this your way. We are doing this my way. And that is the lesson Ahaz has to learn as well. Because uh, Ahaz thinks he's sorted out. Let's uh, get along with the Assyrians. They'll give us the muscle. We'll scare off everybody else. But two things happen. First, God uses Assyria to judge Judah. The so-called friend becomes suddenly the enemy. 
and Assyria invades. And then Assyria gets destroyed by the Babylonians, the Persian, the Medes. The so-called muscle are not quite as strong as you thought. And actually there at the end, if you have a little look at the end of Isaiah uh, chapter 10, it gives a picture of a great forest that has just been cut down. I don't know if some of you may remember the pictures of Hiroshima after the bomb drop, just this kind of wasteland. And that is the image you're meant to see here. Yes, here's Assyria, meant to be so strong. But in the face of God, cut down and nothing. Ahaz, you do not know how to find peace. If you try and do it your way, it will end up in an absolute mess. We do this my way, says God, not your way. So where is the hope? Where is the peace to come from? Well, it is extraordinary that in this kind of wasteland of maybe hundreds or thousands or hundreds of thousands of, uh, of trees that have just been cut down and stumped, the sort of human strength all brought down to the ground, Isaiah points over in the corner and says, do you see that little shoot just coming out of one of the trees? Do you just see this tiny little shoot? That's where peace and hope for this world is coming from. And it's shocking, really. Can you imagine? All of this power, that's how you get peace. But no, it comes through this tiny shoot. And we know from the language here, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and its roots, a branch, will bear fruit. Uh, the whole idea of it uh, uh, being a little shoot from the stump of Jesse is that Jesse was David's father, King David. So here is going to be a new king that's going to come in the line of David's. But up to now, Judah's kings have got them nowhere. But this is going to be a different sort of king. And if you look at verses 2 onwards, or verses 2 and 3, you'll see what kind of king he is. He's a perfect king, full of wisdom and understanding. He's perfect in his, sorry, he's perfect in his mind, wisdom and understanding. He's perfect in his action, counsel and power. He's perfect in his heart, full of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And why is he the perfect king? Because he's supernaturally endowed with the Holy Spirit. He's anointed by God, filled with his very presence. This king has the ability to execute the decisions of God in a perfect way, verse 4. And unlike Ahaz, this king knows God and is in awe of God, delights in reverence to God. He has the character of God. It speaks there of righteousness, right actions and right decisions in every circumstance. It speaks of faithfulness, utterly dependable in every circumstance. This is the perfect king who will bring perfect peace as people live under his perfect rule. But actually for the next 500 years, things just get worse and worse and worse. Very soon there are no kings left. The last king watches as Judah are carried off into exile by their enemies. So where is the hope now? Well, Luke tells us of the birth of a baby. The son of the Most High, to whom will be given the throne of David, born in the town of David. The angels tell the shepherds he's the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed king. We're told that he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will be no end. And the angels sing, peace on earth. The implication is clear. The vision of perfect peace comes how? As the knowledge of Jesus Christ, King Jesus, 
becomes known over the whole of the earth. As the knowledge of Jesus floods this earth, that is how peace comes, which is why Matthew's gospel ends as it does. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching about Jesus and commanding people to follow him. That is the key to peace. Nothing more than simply go and tell people about Jesus. Do you know, I was really struck. I was listening. I don't know if you know um, Nicky Gumbel. Most of you know of Nicky Gumbel. Holy Trinity Brompton. You may know he's just announced that he's retiring from uh, leading HDB. And uh, so uh, his uh, successor has been uh, announced already, who will start in nine months' time. But I was watching last night him telling the church at HDB. And do you know what he said? He says that we're retiring because we want to spend the next 12 years of our lives ensuring that Alpha, the Alpha course, gets to every single part of the world. You'd have thought at age 66, you might say, I'm retiring so I can go and put my feet up. Now he's saying, I'm retiring in order that I might go and ensure that this world is flooded with the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I found that so striking. I've been planning my retirement since the day I started working. I can retire at age 68, and now I don't feel I can. What's the application? I think there are three quick things. The first is this. There is an enormous temptation on all of us to be like Ahaz, which is to try and make our life work by our own efforts, our own decision, and our own wisdom. And yet, when you look in the Bible, time and time again, God had to keep teaching people it doesn't work like that. Just think of Paul was given a thorn in the flesh to remind him he needs to rely on God and not try and do things in his own strength, with his own wisdom, and his own way. We all need reminding. If you're struggling today, is it simply because you keep trying to work it out yourself, work out your own solutions to what's going wrong, instead of just saying, Lord, come into this, help me. Secondly, there's also that temptation, and I wonder if this is true of all of us, that we don't really believe that Jesus is the answer. Do we really believe that simply enabling this world to know the name of Jesus Christ is the key to not just world peace on a world level, but actually peace in people's hearts? Do we really believe that? We will say it, but we look at that little shoot and think, really? Do you remember what Paul said about the cross? He says it's foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are saved, it's the power of God for salvation. It looks pathetic but it has power like you'll never know. And I wonder if the last thing is just an encouragement to you. Do you remember? Paul said in 2 Corinthians, all this is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. It reminds us that the means by which the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that reconciling, peace-bringing knowledge of Jesus comes is through you and through me, and there's no one else. God has no B team. We are ambassadors for Christ. We literally have the job to go and flood this country, to flood this parish from Royal Crescent to Snow Hill. It is our job to flood this place with the knowledge of Jesus Christ for the sake of all those who live here. I'm going to use a horrible image, 
but it struck me last night. I don't know if you noticed on telly, but now all the um, indigestion uh, adverts are coming on. Anticipating all the overindulgence. My favourite is Gaviscon. I mean, it is so cheesy, but you see, oh, it's just really burning and it's really awful. You all know that experience, don't you? But then what happens? The fireman jumps in and sprays the Gaviscon and immediately, ah. It's a ridiculous image, but that is actually what we're called to. Around this uh, neighbourhood, people are hurting inside. Hurting in their families, hurting in the heart of their soul. And it isn't just through a bit of social this or a bit of lovely advice that. It is through literally being doused in the knowledge of Jesus Christ that people's hearts will be given a sense of peace. So can I encourage you, go and grab some of those uh, little flyers and go and stick them through a door. Invite people to come to church. Invite them to come and hear about Jesus. Get them to listen to uh, Radio 4 that was on this morning and hear Dave Gobbett speak brilliantly on the Radio 4 service about the joy of what Jesus brings. Whatever way you can, spray, flood, wherever you are, your office, your school, with the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Amen.